All right, today I am joined by Isabel Gann, the growth product manager here at Clue. And before that, she was at Unbounce. And producer Ben has also added to your introduction sheet that you were at Indigo as well before that. Isabel is now fully in the world of Compete at Clue. And as a product manager, we thought it would be great to have you on to share a little bit about how you think product managers can, should, and have worked with competitive intelligence in their roles. Isabel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I feel excited to be here. It's a little funky. We're, we're Again, we'll break fourth wall for listeners here. We're recording on Riverside right now, but you're directly above me in the office. And so we also, there's multiple cameras happening. We've got, yeah, I, I feel like I can hear you from above. Yeah. But it's, our walls are paper thin. So you can definitely hear me from this boxed room that I've trapped myself in for this pods. I still don't know how I feel about the pods in the office. They, there's some weird dystopian future that we have an office and there's pods within an office. It's like a bit of a Russian doll of pods within a pod within a pod. First thing, we like to get specific and tactical on the podcast and we like to kick things off with our guests with three tactical lessons or pieces of advice. So, Isabel, what are three ways that product managers can and should be using competitive intelligence to inform their product roadmap or overall strategy? Yeah, first one is what you mentioned, product strategy. How do we build an effective product strategy um, so that we can capture near-term market share and obviously gain revenue in the business? But the number two is how do we look at future opportunities? How do we know what our current competition is, but then how are we going to battle in future markets? And then number three is to make sure that our roadmaps are not just for today, but making sure that it's for the future, for tomorrow, and also beyond. So you've got short term, how do we kind of capture market share today? Uh, kind of looking ahead and then making sure the roadmap kind of fits the bill for all of these. So that sounds very simple, but in actuality, there's a lot more complexities to it. Uh, on that first part there, how do you then determine when you mention product strategy in the near term, how do you decide what is actually going to help capture market share? Because there's probably, uh, there's probably a million and one product requests that should have been done tomorrow, according to, depending on what team in the in the company are suggesting it. And you on the product team have to decide which of these in the near term are actually going to help us be better than the competition. So like, how do you even kind of tackle that piece to start with? Yeah, like there's a main philosophy when it comes to product development, where we look at impact versus effort. Like, is it going to provide huge impact if we were to build this and how much effort is it going to take? If we're going to look at a feature, for example, and let's say we use AI as an example, Gen AI. Let's say the big hype right now is building a completely new chat, chat GPT. We're going to look as a product manager to say, well, okay, there's a sentiment to say chat GPT is like the newest big thing. But if it's going to take us a whole year to build a new chat GPT, and most likely by then, other customers are already going to adopt like OpenAI's version of ChatGPT or other different areas of ChatGPT. Is there any impact if we were to invest a year's effort into building that thing? So that's kind of the biggest philosophy when we think about prioritizing anything. And then, of course, that ladders into the four different risks that we want to mitigate. 
right? There's the business viability risk. Is this going to bring money for the business? Is this feasible to build? Um, is it going to take a lot of time for us to build? There's the usability risk where it's, is it easy for consumers or customers to be able to interact with the product? And then last but not least, is it even value of value? So are people going to actually want to pay for this? So there's kind of those four risks that we want to mitigate before we even evaluate whether a solution has high impact versus high effort or low effort to build. So it's sort of like a, a, a complex cost benefit analysis being done there. As it kind of relates to sort of how competitive Intel helps inform that, where does that plug in on the near term? Yeah. So in the near term specifically, there's always significant weight. It's kind of going back to the example of that chat GPT use case that I used. So if you take a look at just like in deciding to invest in a specific feature or invest in a specific new product, we can say, okay, let's say we know that it's going to bring significant value to us. And we're saying we want to invest like 10 developers onto building this specific thing and we're going to invest a whole year to just building that thing and we're not going to ship anything else it's just that one thing what if we ignore the competitive market and we just focused on building that specific thing and by the time we launch that specific feature or product who knows our competitors might have released it five months before and people might have decided to churn from our product into the other competitors product so that has a big significant weight on us evaluating how sensitive the market is going to be, how quickly we need to build something. What is that minimum viable product that we talk about? Is that going to meet what other people are offering in the market too? So that's something that it's always at the back of, I think, most PMs mind when we do decide whether we want to invest in a product or feature. Uh, on that sort of like medium long term, because you mentioned sort of like future opportunities, right? Uh, the current competition, how are they stacking up our product versus theirs capabilities and whatnot, but also sort of who will we battle potentially in future markets. So in, in your experience, how do you on the product team work with the folks that own competitive Intel to have a conversation like that, that's sort of one addressing the competition today, but also sort of like adjacent markets. Um, uh, competitors that might be starting to emerge into a space or in an ankle biter. Uh, and to be more specific in the question, I think that you could have a lot of high level theoretical conversations. How do you make those conversations in your experience? How have those been the most productive for your team and probably the compete side of things too? Yeah. So a big part of product development and product strategy is that iteration. Iterative development is something that we talk about a lot. And to advice what iteration needs to happen, usually we look at two points of data or two types of data. There's qualitative data and there's quantitative data. Quantitative data is when we look at product analytics and seeing what our existing consumers, customers are actually doing on the platform. But then when, you come, when it comes to qualitative stuff, it's are we doing user interviews? Are we doing customer interviews? But on the other hand, that's where product needs to work very closely with market-facing teams like CS, marketing. PMMs to really understand, okay, what is the market saying in terms of the bigger bets, future bets that we can place, future opportunities that we can place versus what are we offering today? How can we firstly decide how we can scale our roadmap towards that future vision? But at the same time, are there smaller steps that we can take right now to firstly fix pain points 
but also move us one step closer to that future roadmap that we want to build. So in the example of, let's say, I'm going to use Gen AI as an example throughout this podcast yeah. because I think that's the most pressing conversation that a lot of PMs are talking about. So when we think about like generative AI and everyone wants to move towards that direction, there is obviously the bigger question of what is Gen AI going to do for the future of our markets? How people view even just like B2B SaaS, for example. If we are not working with the market facing teams, we are not going to be able to know like what is the market asking for? What do they need? And then we can't really decide what are the smaller blocks that we need to build to get to that future vision. But then you also have like, hey, there are big pain points that we have right now within every platform. What can we use in terms of what the market is saying about Gen AI to help fix and alleviate those problems that we have right now in the market so that we can firstly save retention, but at the same time also gain more market share, revenue share as we work with all these market facing teams to further expand in the market. I want to get into sort of your experience as well working with competitive Intel too, because you've worked at kind of different sizes of companies, different types of companies as well. Uh, in your experience, how have you interacted or worked with competitive intelligence at these different sized companies, whether it was a startup, scale up or enterprise? Yeah, I think you captured it really well when it, you say, hey, how do we look at competitive Intel? How does it apply from like a PMC today? It really depends also on the size of the business. There's startup, scale up, and enterprise. So let's start with enterprise. When you look at enterprise, some, most of the times product managers are structured within specific features. And within the features, there's like sub features, et cetera. So in the case of when I was at Shopify, that was my first uh, product management gig, I was we were really focused on making that specific feature the best feature we can offer for our customer base and then hopefully be able to gain market share. So from an enterprise perspective, at the time I was working on merchant analytics, we will look at all the other analytic platforms that our merchants currently use. And from an enterprise level say, hey, instead of getting customers to either pay for an adjacent analytics product, how can we build it in app so that our native functionality is so much better so that they don't they don't have a risk of churning because we don't offer a good enough like analytics um, functionality compared to someone else in the market. So that's from an enterprise perspective. When you look at startup, on the other hand, it's like, how do I even break into the market? What are what are what are the players saying right now? So when I was um, looking to launch my own product at, uh, in the past or when I was building my own thing in the startup in that in in past experiences we usually start with a business model canvas that's like basic startup 101 and a big input for that is essentially your competitive market what are your direct competitors what are your ankle biters is it even worth developing a solution to break into the market do we stand a chance again this the competition or do we need to break into a specific niche 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 market where there's not a lot of ankle biters there's not a lot of main competitors there's not a lot of players how do we even enter to this big landscape of let's say b2b SaaS, for example so that's like from a startup perspective and then you have this like weird middle ground where we call it the scale up where you've already broken into the market you already have maybe achieved product work if you have gain some sort of revenue from your products that you're, you're serving. But how do you further develop those products and services based on specific strengths and weaknesses? That, for example, I would say 
we're in like Clue right now is in the space of a scale up where we're moving really fast. We're growing really fast. What are things that we can hone in on that we know are serving our customers right now? And what are other areas like blind spots in the market that we're not capturing right now that we could capture or we could partner, buy, build, partner, those types of questions. So that's where competitive Intel really comes in to say, is this even worth us investing, for example, effort in getting a dev team to build something to solve that problem? Or is there another player in the market that we can potentially potentially partner up with or buy or acquire so that we can get them to help us serve that bigger market um, gap that we have right now? It's interesting. Like, I, I often refrain from like equating company size from maturity, but there is some sort of like overlap here. Like you mentioned, enterprise is very defined. This is our product that we're, uh, this is the feature instead of sub features we're focused on. So it's very, very defined, maybe the, the inputs you need from competitive intelligence to then increase market share with the Shopify example. Uh, uh, startup is very, very preliminary, like getting your bearings, getting your head above water to be like, where the heck do we even sit? And then there's this kind of sweet spot you mentioned there of scale up where there's like many avenues you could go. There's like elements of that scale up piece. There's elements of this enterprise piece kind of bundled together. In in your experience, because you've gone to dabble in each of them, how has compared Intel, like how have you best worked with uh, the information provided to you, like what is really helpful to you compared to other examples that might have been like an input. I think as someone in product, you've probably got a lot of inputs. You're kind of uh, weighing up how much weight you give it, weighing up how much weight, you know, better words than that. But um, in terms of when it comes to competitive intel, what's being like good inputs that's helped you to drive decisions and which ones you're like, eh, this is just noise for me because breaking the fourth wall a little bit for listeners is you, what likely a lot of the listeners here are supporting product teams as one of their stakeholders. So from your perspective, what what's beneficial to you? Yeah, good question. And this is actually so timely because I was just reading an article from Go Practice uh, about just being really careful on how we measure success versus other competitors. And mm. It's so easy to get lost in the weeds to say, we have this primary competitor and we're going to go neck and neck and make sure that we beat them out of all costs, which could be true for some industries and some use cases. But we also need to be really careful. Um, and that's what uh, the article in Go Practice talked about, of, of really being careful about comparing our product analytics to our competitor's success metric. For example, there is, let, let's fine tune it to a really simple example, like, when you look at a quarter store, quarter store X is, you see quarter store X and that is getting a lot of business. You see like a lot of people spending a lot more time in, in quarter store X and your quarter store Y and you're wondering, hey, I want to decide what else I need to sell in my, my quarter store. Is it, you know, more milk, more flowers? And you're seeing quarter store X do really well because maybe, hey, like they have a bunch of flowers that they sell with a bunch of variety of bouquets and they have all these fancy cards and fun things that you you like at Corner Store X. But if I was Corner Store Y and my main value proposition in Corner Store Y is I am parked in a super busy subway station 
And all I'm serving and the customers that I'm serving are essentially people that are coming in and out quickly. They are business people that are running from their office to their home or vice versa. What I'm trying to serve in that specific market is convenience and quick to quick to grab, quick to use. So in, instead, if we look at where Corner Store X is positioned and where they're placed in, let's say, a space, they're in a nice suburban neighborhood where a lot of retirees are. And most of the time, retirees are there to shop and get a plethora of items. You can see that if you put them in, let's say, even a competitive landscape, they differ very differently. But if I were Corner Store Y and I was trying to emulate the same thing as Corner Store X, I am bound to fail, fail because most of the time and most likely these commuters, these very busy businessmen are not looking for of not looking for the fanciest flowers, the fanciest cars, the most expensive, um, pretty looking aisles. I'm actually instead looking for convenience. So the things that I want to measure are going to be completely different. In the case of like, let's say a, a SaaS app, for example, or any sort of product or feature. Let's say I am a to-do list app. Let's mm -hmm. call myself product X. And then there's a competitor out there that's product Y. That's more focused on, they have a feature that allows them to, let's say, have a list of to-do items, and then they are able to collaborate with their friends and families, be able to sort things out and like prioritize these like to-do items in their app. If we take a look at their success metrics, maybe it seems like product-wise uh, focuses on time spent in app versus for product X, if I were to say, hey, I'm here to also measure time spent in, in my product as a success metric, that's not really setting myself up for success because my main job to be done for my users is I want to be able to put all my things, like things that I need to do into a quick list so that I can quickly sort it out and get out of the app so that I have a way to quickly refer back to it and, and, and not, right? So if you take a look at the two different success criterias, if I were the to-do list app versus the collaboration app, I would look more of like, I want to see how much tasks have been done per month or how much average tasks were done by a user versus how much time I spent on the app. So we really take a look at like the competitive landscape as a whole, whatever our PMM counterparts, whatever competitive Intel counterparts have provided to us needs to be really crystal clear on who the market is, what are our market expecting from us? What are the value propositions we're offering out to the market so that we can reflect in, reflect back what are the success metrics, the right success metrics we are going to be focused on versus getting distracted by all these other vanity metrics that might not necessarily align to the same market that we're playing in. I think that last point is the thing that like hit home with me there of the Again, I'm thinking as, as a listener here, the compete pro pro market is like, what can you do to provide most value is really set, like provide clarity on who we're playing against today. Um, we Again, when we talk about to folks in our role include customers, there's a million and one things they could do as well. Uh, they're getting their own kind of request from product probably asking like, what should, what, what are you seeing? You have sellers saying, this is the competitor you need to focus on when in actuality, they might actually only be in a handful of deals is just the loudest reps are saying focus on this. And so they themselves have to parse through that and then share that out to product team, executives, sellers, revenue leaders specifically too. Like these are the 
competitors that matter most because they're actually the ones on our playing field today. And then some of the things you mentioned off the hop there about kind of future vision looking ahead, I think there's probably some different contexts there. But as to what matters today, I think the, like really establishing the playing field is something that product marketers can really bring to the table. I got, I got a question actually as well. There's something you were mentioning there about kind of comparison between Corner Store X and Corner Store Y. You've also mentioned Gen AI. Us on the marketing side, we always look at things from like a marketing release standpoint, like what's standing out in the market. I want your take. Has there been any product launches or product releases, maybe Gen AI or maybe something completely separate that's really caught your attention and stood out in the market from a, from a product lens? Um, I, I say that because as a marketing team, like I think every company right now is releasing their AI feature and it can quickly become noise. So I'm curious on your perspective, if you've seen a product launch that you're like, wow, that does stand out compared to competitors in the market. I can tell you what stood out in a good way and then what I can tell you stood yeah, out go in on. a bad way. I Give us some tell bad. Give us some bad. Yeah, Let's bad. get spicy. <laughs> I cringe whenever there are marketing teams that just toss out the word AI, toss out the word um, machine learning, toss out the word chat GPT without any context of what value are you trying to provide to me? I remember seeing an ad when I was like walking on the street one day about AI powered search. And that's the only thing that they marketed out. AI powered search. What does that mean? You know, like, and I think a lot of sometimes companies tend to put out AI powered search. What, what are you trying to solve for me? What can AI do? What, what, what about the AI power stuff gets me to search something better? And I think that's something that even as PMs, we need to be very, very careful of. And, and, and it's not putting the cart before the horse. It's not putting a solution. And then from there, figuring out how do I fit the solution into a problem that our users are trying to solve? Instead, what problem are our users facing and how can we find solutions to solve that specific problem? So those are things that I really cringe whenever I see in the, I, I see in the market, it's Oh, you're just throwing it, out these buzzwords for, for it displays a lack of understanding, right? It's like, I mean, I'm going to, again, maybe peel back the current a little bit. But as we were like, uh, our CEO, Jason, walked through with the marketing team, sort of like our AI roadmap, how it was from Clue's beginning, the purpose, the problems it solved. Now with the introduction of Gen AI, how that's going to accelerate some things, experiment in some areas, but it was always rooted in the problem it's going to solve. And I remember looking at first, like, what are we just gonna say AI a bunch? Like, I'm not sure how this, what this actually means for us. There's like kind of a whirlwind of stuff going on. And then you kind of sit back and it's, oh no, like the problems we're gonna solve are still like X, Y, Z. It's just gonna accelerate it, or maybe the product's gonna shift a little bit in how it serves that, or it's gonna speed up what we thought we could have done in five years to like a week, but the problem remains the problem because that's the thing that the customer cares about. You nailed it on the head. I think that something that I really get impressed by is when I have seen companies come up with the vision of where they want to go and how AI and Gen AI supports that. Instead of saying, these are all the fun features that we released and these are things that we're going to do. Instead of saying that, having a really clear point of view of like, this is the value that this business provides in the market. 
and this is where they want to go and how Gen AI, for example, is going to expedite that path gives me a lot more respect than seeing companies throw out those buzzwords. Uh, I want to, I, sh- I should have led with this too, but there are, it's not just the clue. We don't have just one podcast host on here today. You yourself are running a podcast, the Product Toolbox podcast. Can you share a little bit about what you're doing over there as well? Sure, yeah. Um, remember you mentioned that like PMs have, it's oh, the way PMs build product is like this super complex cost-benefit analysis. And how I look at just being a really great PM is how do I make the best decision at the right time? And that was the problem that just keeps me up at night, always. <laughs> <laughs> and something that I really hold dear to my heart is mental models. How do we use first principles thinking and different other types of mental models to help elevate a product manager? And that's where my podcast comes in. It's called the Product Toolbox because I look at every product manager as having their own toolbox and be able to draw out these mental models easily so that they can make the best decisions at the best time. Um, of course, I am not the expert on mental models, so I decided to say, hey, can I interview people who are kicking butt in the industry to teach me about mental models they use? And that's kind of an effort in sharing those learnings that I have to any upcoming product managers that want to break into the industry or just people that are looking to level up in their career. Um, that's exactly why I launched this. What's the most interesting mental model or, or any kind of piece of nugget of wisdom you've heard from a guest so far? Ooh. Um, my most recent guest, actually, was really insightful. Uh, she's Arjuna Kanan. She's the head of product at Stripe. And she was talking about just launching things, just getting things into the hands of the users. And I think that's a big, sometimes, debate between PMs of like, when is it good enough to put it into the hands of the users? And something that she mentioned was test it out and there's nothing more valuable than just getting user feedback as the first iteration of value. And that can Mm -hmm. be like something as scrappy as possible to something fully fleshed out. But usually when we think about those two different use cases, we want to just get a product out as much as possible so that we can know if it sticks or not. I love that. I love that. Just get as much information as early as possible to make your next decision. That's really cool. Exactly. Isabel, this was so fun. Folks, if you want to check out the podcast, Product Toolbox podcast, Isabel, where can folks reach you? LinkedIn, email? Yep. Where, you where? can look me up on LinkedIn. I try to post a bunch of things on my LinkedIn at Isabel Gan. Otherwise, you can search the product toolbox on anywhere you take your podcast. It is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, um, and it's on Transistor if you want to take a look at it too. Creatively, ah, it's on. Is it on Stitcher? Producer Ben listens to podcasts exclusively on Stitcher, and yeah, I kind of judge him for it, but it also maybe it's sort of like you know how um, he's so deep into it that it's like the cool thing. It's like you know, like real tech junkies like roll their eyes at mac users a little bit maybe it's sort of like that happening putting them on blast um anyways i digress isabel it was so good to have you on and folks we'll catch you all next week thanks for having me 
way the market looks today is not how it was yesterday. And spoiler alert, it'll be different tomorrow too. Hi, I'm Devin O'Rourke, founder and managing partner at Fluvio and the host of the Embracing Erosion podcast. On my show, we talk to product marketers, founders, investors, and go-to-market leaders to shine a light on what it takes to tackle difficult go-to-market challenges. How do you make decisions with speed and effectiveness? What makes for a great leader? And what are the most common go-to-market mistakes and how can you avoid them? Embracing erosion means embracing change, and you'll hear from some of the best in the business who know firsthand why embracing erosion is key to success. Join me, Devin O'Rourke, on the Embracing Erosion podcast, powered by the Compete Network.